Welcome to the Dr. Dez Says It's All Your Immunity podcast. What to do for self-care if you contract COVID-19. Part 2. Optimizing your immune system through vitamins and rest. In part one of this two-part series, we delved into the measures a person can take if they are diagnosed with COVID-19. Among the topics we discussed was the use of a pulse oximeter to monitor the onset of COVID lung inflammation and pneumonia. This is a critical step before the worsening of symptoms and severe COVID-19. And we discussed the use of monoclonal antibodies newly approved in the United States for the treatment of moderate COVID infection in people who are at risk for a more severe infection and hospitalization. In this episode, we will take a look at the vitamins that may boost the immune system in those infected. I will also discuss why and how each of these vitamins work. I will also discuss why rest is so critical for the immune system to function optimally when fighting the disease. And I also realize that so many people diagnosed with COVID live in a household with others. Therefore, to finish this series, I will look at how you and your loved ones can prepare during and after a person's convalescence to keep the entire household safe. You do not have to listen to the first episode of the series to be able to follow and understand part two. However, parts one and two taken together are a comprehensive list of suggestions to keep a COVID-positive person's symptoms from getting worse and to make sure that those living in the same household remain as safe as they can under the circumstances. And a disclaimer, I am not giving medical advice. I am not your medical doctor. All medical decisions need to be made by you your doctor, and any close circle of family and friends who are your advisors. I am giving you the latest CDC recommendations and my knowledge of the immune system and the science of the immunology behind the medicine. Now, let's look at how to boost your immune system through supplementation as you recover at home. These tips are also good preventative measures for people who are in your household as you are quarantining and isolating. And again, I caution you that I am not giving medical advice. Please see your doctor before you take any medications, including vitamin supplements. The most effective way to boost your immune system is through proper nutrition and rest. On the nutrition front, one of the ways to bolster the nutrient levels you get through food is to take supplements. Vitamins are one way to do this. So let's talk about them. Now, if you've been listening to our discussions on COVID, you'll remember I spoke very briefly about vitamins C and D. First, let's take a look at vitamin C. It has long been understood that vitamin C is integral in immune defense. It supports various cellular functions of the immune system, and it does so in a couple of ways. 
First, vitamin C supports the first barrier of protective skin known as the epithelial layer against microbial infection. At the epithelial layer, vitamin C also promotes oxidant clearing activity of the skin. This antioxidant activity potentially protects against destructive environmental oxidative stress that also makes one more vulnerable to infection. Second, vitamin C works directly in conjunction with the cells of the immune system. It accumulates in the immune cells that first come to the scene after an infection. It supports the work of one cell in particular, the neutrophil, by enhancing that cell's ability to respond to the chemical signals the immune system uses to bring the neutrophils to the site of infection. Then vitamin C helps neutrophils engulf and kill pathogens. It is also needed for the destruction and clearance of the spent neutrophils once their pathogenic killing is complete. This clearing is vital for decreasing necrosis, which is the potential tissue damage and death at infection sites that will also make one more susceptible to infection Supplementation with vitamin C appears to be able to both prevent and treat respiratory and systemic infections. The literature tells us that the amount of vitamin C required to treat established infections is in the range of 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams a day, which is 1 to 2 grams in adults. This is enough to compensate for the increased immune response and metabolic demand that comes with fighting infection. If you have loved ones in your house who need amounts of vitamin C to protect against infection, a low-end amount that can provide an adequate, if not saturating, level of vitamin C is 100 to 200 milligrams per day. 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams a day is not thought to be toxic to cells. But again, please consult your medical doctor. Let's talk about vitamin D. Vitamin D has long been acknowledged in the important functions of calcium as well as in bone function. But in the last decade, there have been numerous studies implicating vitamin D's role in functions of the immune system. In fact, it has been found that vitamin D deficiency is commonly linked to autoimmune disorders. And it has also been reported that people with low vitamin D levels may be more susceptible to upper respiratory tract infections, which is exactly what COVID-19 is. At higher latitudes, people with more melanin content in their skin have lower blood levels of vitamin D because the skin doesn't produce as much in response to sunlight. A recent article in the Journal of the National Medical Association speculated that vitamin D deficiency is, quote, is likely a significant factor, end quote, behind disproportionately high COVID-19 cases and deaths among United States Black and Latino populations. This is important because most people get some vitamin D from sunlight exposure, although people in the United States get the nutrient mainly from fortified foods such as milk, orange juice, and breakfast cereals. But many also get it in the form of vitamin D supplementation. 
An analysis of data from 4,962 participants in the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey found that 1,981, or approximately 89.92%, were vitamin D deficient, defined as blood level lower than 20 nanograms per mil. Vitamin D deficiency was greater in certain subpopulations, such as people with obesity or people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, all three of which have been associated with COVID-19 outcomes. Vitamin D may protect against COVID-19 in a couple of ways. Many immune cells like B cells and T cells have receptors for vitamin D. This means that as conditions warrant it, immune cells can take it in. First, it may help boost our body's natural defense against viruses and bacteria. Second, it may help prevent an exaggerated inflammatory response which has been shown to contribute to the severe illness in some people with COVID. You may have heard of this phenomenon as cytokine storms. Physiologically, the amount of vitamin D needed in the blood is at a level greater than 30 nanograms per milliliter. Vitamin D deficiency is defined as blood levels lower than 20 nanograms per milliliter of vitamin D. The upper limits you can take without medical supervision, according to the Endocrinological Society Journal of Endocrinological Medicine, is 4,000 international units per day. You can have your levels checked by a medical doctor, and if he or she would like to increase the dose, you should follow your doctor's advice. Some clinicians find that 50 to 60 nanograms per mil is more conducive to fighting COVID-19 and prescribe it as 25-hydroxy vitamin D3. To reach that level of vitamin D in the blood is generally achieved with a dose of 5,000 international units five to seven days a week taken for more than six months. High doses given over short periods of time may furnish the desired blood levels. Literature tells us that clinicians often offset vitamin D toxicity at those levels by prescribing a vitamin K2 supplement. I will talk about vitamin K next. Again, these levels have to be prescribed by a medical doctor and monitored by those clinicians after a thorough medical exam and screening. So let's talk about vitamin K. Vitamin K is important for regulating lung health and blood clotting. Therefore, it may play a critical role in preventing or fighting COVID-19. There are two important forms of vitamin K, which are vitamin K1 and vitamin K2. K1 is vital to activate proteins called K1 is vital to activate proteins called protein S, and the matrix protein MGP of the blood vessel walls of the lung. These proteins help for blood clotting. Insufficient activation of protein S may lead to an increased risk for thrombosis and lung damage. This could lead to the decreased functioning of the lung, 
which exacerbates the disease course of COVID-19. Please talk with your medical doctor about vitamin K, especially if you have had a history of heart disease, stroke, or blood clots, or you are on blood thinners like warfarin, coumadin, and aspirin. This is because it lessens the effect of these blood thinners and could be detrimental to the treatments for which they were prescribed. While vitamin K1 is easily found in a balanced diet, vitamin K2 is not according to studies. There are also ongoing clinical studies about the relationship between vitamins D3 and K2. In the example I gave earlier, I described how some clinicians were increasing the amount of vitamin D to amounts over the recommended daily allowance in the short term to fight the COVID-19 infection. What gives clinicians pause when using this strategy is that vitamin D may induce short-term hypercalcemia, a disorder which is the buildup of calcium in the blood leading to vascular calcification, osteoporosis, and kidney stones. The calcification may ultimately lead to pulmonary or lung and vascular damage. Because this would happen at the time of a COVID infection and the damage caused by the SARS coronavirus 2, clinicians would actually be exacerbating the problems that they were trying to combat in the lung. Two studies in 2011 and 2013 suggest that the problem is not so much with the overabundance of vitamin D in the bloodstream that causes the calcification, but a deficiency in vitamin K2. Remember, while vitamin K1 is easily found in a balanced diet, K2 is not, and it really seems to be an underdiagnosed and undertreated deficiency that tends to reveal itself when clinicians use vitamin D for COVID-19. The way it works is that the process that creates the high concentrated levels of calcium in the bloodstream is blunted by K2 activating an enzyme that deposits the excess calcium in the bloodstream into bone. Therefore, there is no calcification and K2 has acted as an agonist to vitamin D action. Now, another mineral that gets a lot of attention when it comes to COVID-19 infection is the mineral zinc. At this time, there is no concrete evidence proving that zinc can help with COVID-19. High-dose zinc has been found to reduce the length of time cold symptoms last, and it is known to play a key role in supporting the immune system and regulating metabolism. But so far, there hasn't been enough research done to determine the impact on someone with SARS coronavirus 2. Zinc is the second most common trace mineral in our bodies, affecting all organs and cells. It's an essential mineral that most Americans get plenty of in their diets by eating foods like beans, nuts, whole grains, red meat, poultry, and dairy. If a person isn't zinc deficient, taking a zinc supplement likely won't provide any additional protection against COVID 
Experts have found that once you have the minimal amount of zinc in your system, adding a supplement doesn't necessarily mean your immune system is boosted. If you have already started taking a supplement and you're getting enough zinc in your diet, please know that too much zinc can be harmful. If you're consuming too much zinc, it can actually lower your immunity. But as always, check with your doctor if you are unsure or have concerns. Another important group of minerals I want to look at are magnesium and phosphate. SARS-Coronavirus-2 may induce a cytokine storm that drains energy from the body in the form of used ATP. To regenerate ATP for the energy to fight COVID, the body needs magnesium and phosphate. These minerals, however, are often deficient in conditions that predispose people to severe COVID-19, including older age, especially males, having diabetes, obesity, and usage of diuretics. Available data shows that phosphate and magnesium are deficient in COVID-19, with phosphate showing a notable correlation with COVID-19 severity. In one experiment, patients with COVID-19 were supplemented with a cocktail of vitamin D3, magnesium, and vitamin B12 with very encouraging results. Based on these and other findings, some clinicians are recommending patients with COVID-19 should be monitored. Based on these and other findings, some clinicians are recommending that patients with COVID-19 be monitored and treated for phosphate and magnesium deficiencies, ideally already in the early stages of infection. Supplementation of phosphate and magnesium combined with vitamin D could also be implemented for people who are trying to prevent COVID infection. But again, speak to your medical doctor. Now let's talk about rest and stress reduction. Your body is expending a lot of energy to rid itself of COVID-19 infection and begin the reparative work the body needs during acute infection and in the post-infection phases. As we discussed in the magnesium and phosphate section, many studies suggest that adults with less than five hours of sleep per night on a regular basis have a higher mortality rate. And having less than seven hours of sleep for three nights in a row has the same effect on the body as missing one full night of sleep. However, when you are expending energy to fight infection and repair the body, the longer, deeper sleep that lasts longer than seven hours has a demonstrable effect on the immune system. T-cells play an important role in the body's immune system. When the immune system recognizes a virally infected cell, it activates integrins, a sticky type of protein that when activated, allows them to attach to T-cells and the infected cells, helping the T-cell attach to the infected cell to kill it. The researchers compared T-cells from healthy volunteers who either slept or stayed awake all night. They found that the study participants who slept 
Their T-cells showed higher levels of integrin activation than in the T-cells of those who were awake throughout the night. The finding indicates that sleep has the potential to improve T-cell functioning, which is vital during the more severe stages of COVID infection. For people who get poor sleep, stress hormones may inhibit the ability of T-cells to function effectively. Therefore, poor sleep gives you poor odds at fighting COVID-19 infection effectively. Now that we've gone through vitamins and rest, uh, this last section is more for how to deal with your environment during infection and to prepare it for post-infection. And specifically, I want to talk about masks and ventilation. It is very important that those infected with COVID continue to wear masks in their homes, especially if the infected person shares a home with another person. It is also imperative that the person who lives with someone infected with COVID-19 wear their mask consistently. There are two ways to spread SARS coronavirus to through the air. One is when the virus is released from an infected person through droplets, like when one is talking, singing, yelling, or coughing. Masks, especially N95 or KN95, remedies this problem by protecting you from the droplets. But a second way of transmitting this virus is actually not talked about as much. That is the transmission from the long-term suspension of the virus in the air after droplet dispersal. This is similar to living with someone who smokes. You may be in a different part of the home, walled off from the smoker as they smoke. But hours later, you can still smell the faint odor from the cigarette. This is because small particles like viruses can linger in the air, especially if the air is still. Therefore, people quarantining and isolating as they recuperate at home need to keep doors and windows open or ajar to keep air circulating. And any type of air purifier with a HEPA filter, that's HEPA, H-E-P-A, is advisable. And changing your home heating and air system filters with a HEPA filter is also recommended. These items can be found in any hardware store or where household items are sold. Well, I thank you for spending time with me today as we discuss what to do if you're diagnosed with COVID, but you have to recover at home. I strongly suggest you take these suggestions and speak with your doctor. They know your medical history and the medical history of your family and can give you a personalized recommendation that may help you and your loved ones as you're fighting through this difficult time. Please remember, if you have any questions for me concerning this topic or any other we've discussed, email me at drdezsez at gmail.com. That's Dr period des says at gmail.com or you can dm me on twitter at dr des says and the number one 
and on Facebook at Dr. Dad Says. You can also find me on Instagram, again, at Dr. Dad Says. Until the next time. This is Dr. Desiree Barrett or Dr. Des. To those that follow me on the YouTube channel, it's All Your Immunity with Dr. Des. And at Twitter at Dr. Des Says One. And as always, I wish you health and some food for thought. And remember, Dr. Des Says, it's all your immunity. Thank you.